The Secret to Solving the Obesity Puzzle. This is Carrie, and I love puzzles. Anybody that knows me knows that I like putting a puzzle together. And I am really good at putting the obesity treatment puzzle together. I want to bring you my knowledge, share with you, dissect each topic, and explain why it's so important for you to understand that each topic plays a very important role with the management of obesity and the treatment for obesity. Let's keep learning and building our masterpiece towards health and wellness. Welcome back. I am glad to be able to talk today about patient and provider relationship. I see smiles and give great big strong handshakes and people reach out to hug me and it just makes me feel appreciated and I think it reciprocates the relationship between my patient and myself. This is really important to have a close relationship with your provider. You know, my patients tell me very personal information, probably things that they would never share with anyone else. And for them to gain my trust, I have to be open and honest myself. I think I want to talk about how that relationship should be molded some of the medical ethics that may be involved, some of the boundaries that you should put up, as well as not only personal sharing, right, human self-disclosure with your patient, but also where touch comes into play. Let's evaluate the American family physician and their approach to self-disclosure or touch In the medical communities and most medical colleges, they support science, a neutral observer attitude, and diagnosis and treatment related to a specific disease process. There really is not a lot of room with the medical community developing patient-doctor relationships. There has been several articles that have supported and recognized that despite the traditional position of the American physician, there is physician self-disclosure within a patient-appropriate relationship and how to navigate that, how to go forward with that. Now, in contrast, there is the position statement of the American Nurses Association and nursing in general has many, many articles related to therapeutic use and self-disclosure with patients. And this actually is part of the nursing curriculum, to be honest, to self-disclose, to help work in a trusting relationship with your patients and connect with them on a human level. So either school of thought, you really have to think about the human element of medicine and how we care for people. Caring for people really does require gaining their trust and developing a relationship and how to go about that within the appropriate boundaries that are acceptable to the patient and provider. So let's talk about the pros of self-disclosure. 
Really, self-disclosure is a powerful tool that can compel your patients to really comply with your health recommendations and listen to what you're telling them. In nursing school, I was taught about authenticity. Really, the essence of nursing care comes from bringing our authentic selves to the nurse-patient relationship. Now that I'm a provider, that has not changed. I want to develop that authentic relationship with my patient. And we all have different communication styles to be able to connect and pick up how we can really get close to our patients and have them trust us. Can a nurse or provider refrain from disclosing key parts of themselves or their identity and still be authentic as a caregiver? That's a good question. Could it be a lie of omission? You're just not going to tell anybody that? And that's okay too. But are we robbing ourselves of a further, deeper relationship with our patients to be able to help them therapeutically? Let's talk about some general guidelines with patient-provider relationship and self-disclosure. If a patient is sharing with you some deep personal issue that potentially they're having in a relationship or with a child or with their boss, do you reciprocate and start sharing at that same level? Likely not. They're sharing, they're getting stress off. They're disclosing some very personal feelings to you and it's their time. You need to listen to them. But say they were sharing with you about going on vacation and where they went and what they did. That in and of itself is reciprocity where you can feel comfortable sharing your vacation oh, you're planning this, or you've been to the same place, or you went to the same restaurant, that kind of thing. Or you both have kids that go to the same high school that know each other. Those are very specific reciprocity, mutuality expressions of interest to be able to share with your patients. How about as a provider sharing personal medical circumstances or situations with a patient? I have patients that suffer from severe inflammatory arthritis or inflammatory bowel disease. And from a personal experience, I can relate to them because I have the same issues as they're sharing I will participate and tell them a little bit about my experience, what I've done to get on a path of health and wellness. And I think that really helps them learn to trust me and see that, well, if it worked for you, maybe I'll give it a try. You know, myself personally, as a patient, not as a provider, when I go see a provider, or a specialist, I feel much more comfortable and trusting of them when they share personal things. You know, if I'm having back pain and I go see a back specialist and he tells me that he had an episode of back pain and 
you can get through this and this is how we're going to move forward. It's like, okay, that decreased the stress level, the anxiety. You know that someone else can empathize with you. I think that's really important. But oversharing, you do not want to do. You don't want to make somebody feel uncomfortable. You don't want to overshare about intimate relationship details, conflicts that you may be having. None of that is appropriate in a clinical setting. But still, sharing enough to establish that trust relationship is really important. Many years ago, I worked with a provider that was going through a divorce. He shared intimate details and his frustrations, how angry he was towards his significant other with patients. And you could hear this interaction going on in each patient visit that he had. It was really beyond an appropriate self-disclosure session. And so I think those things you have to tread very lightly with. Okay, let's, let's move on and talk about the power of touch. Appropriateness of shaking hands and giving somebody a hug. I think as a patient and provider, we can all agree upon how important touch is. The physicalness of touch. There has been so much medical literature and research really showing that touch is essential to our well-being. But how do we manage that in the healthcare setting? Well, let me tell you a story about some place that I worked. The director, my boss, really thought it was inappropriate of me to give my patients a hug. If she was walking by and I was bringing a patient back to the room and they were taking off their jacket and they reached out to give me a hug, of course I would give them a hug back. I would reciprocate with that behavior. Or if someone reached out to give me a big, awesome handshake, I would reciprocate and give them a handshake back. Her and I had many conversations about this and she even put it on my yearly evaluation that I should not be touching my patients. I told her that I am not gonna change That is who I am. I care for my patients, and if they reach out to hug me, I am going to hug them back. If they want me to hold their hand because they're sad and they're crying, I'm going to hold their hand. If a patient asks if I am Christian and if I would pray with them, I will pray with them. I feel that making this human connection is essential to developing a personal relationship with my patients so they trust me and we have a great foundation. I think this really leads to success too. They trust your advice. They trust your recommendations. This is really important to have this trusting relationship with your patients. Really throughout the history of medicine, hands-on touch has been employed to administer comfort and aid and in some practices downright heal somebody. Now really, we just got through a pandemic with COVID and we weren't allowed to touch or handshake anymore. And the impact that that had on healing and recovery was astounding. I remember we used to do the elbow bump or the ankle touch 
as a replacement for the handshake through COVID. But really, you think about those folks that were isolated with COVID and weren't allowed any visitors or anybody to touch them without gloves or being completely gowned with a mask and such. Um, How impersonal. Now, of course, you need to know the limitations of touch, right? Age. Age plays a big factor. The elderly population, they came from a different time in society. Handshaking and respect is what you need to honor. Culture. There are some cultures that do not want you to touch them at all. So you have to understand that with the setting that you're working in. As far as even eye contact with certain populations and cultures. And then religion. There are several religious beliefs that either prefer touch or don't prefer touch. So you as a provider have to understand where your boundaries lie. There truly are many research and evidence-based literature supporting the value of touch, that it really does show a healing power and releases endorphins, which help us combat stress, lower our actual stress hormones, which are cortisol, and result in a sense of relaxation. These healing powers of touch can literally be seen and measured with MRIs of our brain. From the minute we're born, having to have skin-to-skin contact helps an infant's brain develop, regulates their body temperature, experiences enhanced nutritional absorption and growth and development. It also lowers pain levels, which is incredible. Research shows us that by simply touching a friend's arm or putting your hand on a family member's back, you can relay a message of empathy, care, and kindness. This can be very powerful for both mental and physical reasons. Because we feel physically connected, we also usually feel less anxious. Even when it comes to sports teams, they did a study and they published it in 2010 related to the NBA team players who had more physical interaction, meaning fist bumps, high fives, hugs, and team huddles experienced better performance outcomes than teams that did not have that interaction. Okay, so what is the takeaway from this? Myself as a patient and as a provider, I respect and welcome someone that shares something personal, someone that's willing to put their hand on my shoulder or give me a great big hug or give me an awesome handshake. All of those I think are very valuable to me as a person and as a provider, I want to reciprocate that if it's welcome. So you as a patient, you share very personal things with us and it's okay if we can share just a piece of us to be able to connect on a more personal level. I think that's very important. Of course, we should know our professional boundaries. You know, even laughter and sharing or sharing a picture on your phone of your dog, of your kids, 
telling a joke, I love that. I love that with my patients. They'll, they feel comfortable enough with me that they will show me pictures or tell me a story and we can laugh. Oh my gosh, I've had so many sessions with people where we just sat and laughed and it's awesome. To wrap it up and recap, I think as a patient and provider, we all have to realize that there is a human element of medicine and we need that caring relationship to gain trust. That's just another piece of the puzzle to health and well-being. If we can't trust who we're going to, if we can't really share what's on our mind, what's really making us stressed out, what's making us happy, what's making us anxious, how are you going to move forward and obtain health and wellness without that true relationship? So don't hold back. I'm encouraging you as a patient, don't hold back. And as a provider, don't hold back. Of course, within reason, within your professional boundaries, but establish that relationship. You will have lots of people wanting to come see you if you have that awesome relationship. I remember my husband and I, years and years ago, went to a brother group of dentists. They were only about 20 minutes away from our house, but then they were opening their own practice, which was over an hour away. We enjoyed them so much because every time we came in to see them, they remembered our name. They remembered what we did as an occupation. They remembered what we did for fun. We were scuba divers, so they always asked us about scuba diving. I mean, it was just a pleasure to go see them. And they were good dentists. (laughs) But we chose to follow them and literally drive over an hour away to continue to see them year after year because we had formed that personal connection. And that's really what I'm pushing you to do is form that personal connection as a patient and provider. That's so important for your own success. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and there'll be more to come.